So what are we doing? What am I about to do? What are we about to unpack? If you happen to have a Bible on, in whatever form, in hard copy, in digital, in analog, in braille, um, whatever you have, whip it open to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start there, and you're going to look at, the, at uh, Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start around verse 9. You're going to look at that and go, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty familiar. Um, it's a relatively familiar passage. But w- what I want to unpack with us today is we've been talking about this thing around taking ground. Anyone remember that? Yes. Anyone heard those two words put together in a sentence you know, in the last year, fairly regularly. Yep, awesome. So taking ground is actually a spiritual battle. It is something that involves taking authority in spirit. It involves prayer. It involves warfare. It's not just, you know, this great idea and this concept because the moment you start looking at taking ground... Um, the enemy starts to go, I'm not sure I'm going to bless that. Um, and, he, and he starts kicking back, he starts fighting back, and then we start to go, oh, this whole taking ground thing, it sucks, it's hard. As soon as you start doing that, stuff gets thrown back in your face, and um, my nice comfortable life that I thought Christianity was all about. Did anyone get that? <laughs> kind of, Yeah. My nice comfortable life that I thought Christianity was all that Jesus died to give me. That's a slightly heretical statement there, um, in case you didn't pick it up. My comfortable life gets upset. So what I want to hit first and foremost is the big paradigm behind taking ground. What, is it, what do we mean by it? What does it look like? And then I'm going to unpack, you know, what does it look like? How do we actually do it? So Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This, if you grew up in the tradition I grew up in, we said this every week in church. And there might have been varying arts and wherefores, depending on how old you are. Um, somewhere around my early teens, I think it changed from the arts and wherefores to pretty much exactly what you read here. Now, if you're reading in Matthew, the context of this, on both sides of it, in Matthew's, in Matthew's rendition of the Lord's Prayer, is in the context of essentially stop being a hypocrite, stop doing everything in front of people just for show, do the stuff in secret, do the stuff in private, and God who sees you in secret will answer you. That context is essentially Jesus saying, hey, if you want a recipe for authentic prayer, authentic interaction with me, this is what it looks like. They had a whole lot of role models who were standing on the street corners and praying all these beautiful spiritual uh, prayers that were full of eloquent words that made the ordinary everyday person feel like less than. It was all about the show on the outside and and Jesus was always an inside-out kind of guy and he's saying, no, no, this is the way to do it. This is the way to do it. So he starts with, I'm just thinking, I could go through nearly every word here and it would take a long time. So I'm going to, it's going to require some discipline. Our Father. Let's just start with our for a moment. 
Why, why doesn't it say my father? Why our? Not our as in ouch. <laughs> O-U-R. Our father. Any thoughts as to what's going on there? Yeah, this is a community deal. This is a family deal. This isn't, this isn't just me doing my spiritual thing. This whole prayer, um, some love to call it intercession. It's, it's a community deal. It's a family deal. Because it's our Father, not our CEO. Hallowed be thy name. Our managing director. Our president. Whatever, wherever you want to go. No, our Father. It's a family deal. That's the our bit. Our Father. I want to suggest that any genuine, authentic prayer that's going to take ground has to be rooted in a revelation of what the Father is really like. We just sang about it just now. (laughs) He's incredibly good. And depending on your history, you'll have all sorts of paradigms and patterns and templates of what Father means for you. And often, unknowingly, we pray out of that paradigm. If dad was emotionally distant and I kind of had to beg him to get anything that I needed, we tend to take the same thing to God and think that God is this distant, he's emotionally disconnected, and if I'm going to get anything from him, I'm going to have to beg, I'm going to have to manipulate. I can't just rest in the fact that I have a daddy that absolutely loves me and wants to pour good things. Now, later on, and particularly in Luke's gospel, Jesus talks about it where, and and again, it's around the Lord's Prayer in, in Luke's gospel, in Luke chapter 11, where Jesus says, yeah, he says, ask, seek, knock for anyone who asks, We'll receive. Anyone who seeks will find. Anyone who knocks the door will be opened. And if you, if you follow that through, six times in two verses, basically Jesus is saying, hey, when you go to God, he's going to give you what you need. Now, when someone says something six times in two sentences, you get the idea they're pretty serious about what they're saying. In other words, that, that is the nature of the Father that we are entering into this, this, um, this co-laboring thing with. That is the foundation out of, out of which all of this comes, is it has to be rooted in a revelation of who is our daddy and what is he like? Now, we could go into prayer ministry right there and probably go through the next week and have lots of d- deliverance and lots of healing, and that wouldn't actually be such a bad thing um, at all because the revelation of who the Father is, I think, is the most important revelation any of us can ever, ever get. And he's incredibly good. He's incredibly happy to see you. You know, it's like when you walk into the presence of someone who just is really, really happy to see you, like genuinely, it just, your guard just kind of drops and you just kind of, and assuming you feel the same way about them. <laughs> um, it, it's just this really cool kind of unguarded feeling of, I'm really flipping happy to see you. And There's this exchange of freedom and this exchange where we are completely unguarded. And there's this exchange of this exchange of affection, this exchange of heart, and this exchange of just freedom of relationship. That's the context. 
of prayer. It's not meant to be this hard, difficult discipline. Now, I'm a fan of discipline. It's a good thing. But ultimately, discipline isn't the thing that's meant to characterize this thing. It's actually meant to be this open, oh my golly gosh, I'm so glad to see you. And even though he hasn't actually left anywhere, (laughs) there's just this continual, ah. That's the father bit. Hallowed be your name. I think I used to think it was Harold be thy name. So I was like, God's name must be Harold because our father in heaven, Harold be your name. Um, but then I learned to talk and really hallowed. Um, in case you don't, you know, that, it just simply means may your name be made holy. In other words, as we come in, there is this freedom of exchange in this relationship with our heavenly daddy that naturally results in worship. That, that's the beginning of it. In other words, it begins with worship. And if you follow the prayer through where it says, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory now and forever, it's like it ends in worship as well. So every part of this prayer intercession thing is bookended with worship. And if you've ever wondered, why is it a whole lot of time when we're in worship, we kind of break out and start praying for stuff and praying for breakthrough? Because this is what Jesus taught us, is that all prayer happens in a context of worship. As we're just adoring God and in this freedom of exchange, that is the place out of which we start to go, right, now let's point the goodness of God at that. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, this is the bit I want to land in for a bit. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to suggest that if you've been around for any amount of time around us, you will have heard us talk about this lots and lots of times. And you're going to hear about it again. Because this is so ridiculously key to everything that we are about. It's key to everything that we are commissioned as the people of God to do. And that is simply this. We're meant to get heaven and we're meant to see it released here. If you want to know what taking ground looks like, it's anything that doesn't look like heaven, fair target, let's get it. And then let's walk in our authority, let's walk in power until that thing looks like heaven, we've taken ground. That, that's, that's the simplest idea, is taking what is in heaven and make it manifest here. Now, I grew up in a system that was all about getting people to heaven, which is way better than getting people to the other place, of course. Yeah, there's, there's benefits to that. But I love the way Bill Johnson says this. He says, don't confuse your destination with your assignment. Don't confuse your destination, heaven, with your assignment just to get to heaven. Getting to heaven is relatively simple. I mean, everyone wants to go there, but no one wants to go through the process required to get there. Dying, that is, in case you're wondering what I'm talking about. Our destination, yes, is heaven, but even that, in an eternal sense, I want to challenge what we, what we think that looks like because the whole direction of Scripture, even in Revelation, is heaven toward earth because it says, now the dwelling of God is with man, and yet we've always thought, now the dwelling of man is with God. And we often think like, well, they're going to heaven, I'm going to heaven, and that'll be awesome when we all go to heaven. Actually, there's a hymn that I used to sing back in Churches of Christ days. When, you know, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. You know the one? That's good Church of Christ Baptist kind of hymn. Um, yet in the end, actually, heaven comes here. Because it says, now the dwelling of God is with man. It's a heaven to earth motif. 
I've talked about this before, so I'm going to say it really, really briefly. We'll see. So when Satan was cast out of heaven, where was he cast to? The earth. Now we can argue about the timing of which came first here, which Cameron and I love to do, and ultimately the implications both are really cool actually. But when Adam and Eve are placed on the earth, they're placed in a garden with a command to fill the earth and subdue it. That's a taking ground motif. Now, to fill the earth and subdue it, what, why, why that? Well, Satan had been cast down to earth and then God puts us on earth with a mandate. He gives us a garden, like a sphere of authority. It's like, you've got, this is your territory here, but I want you to expand your territory. In other words... Satan was cast down to the earth. I'm going to put humans on the earth, made in my image and likeness, who worship me by choice, who are going to kick Satan off the earth as well. Because it it was his territory. We get put on the earth. We expand our mandate. We expand our, our, our sphere of authority. We expand our garden such that the whole earth looks like what the Garden of Eden was. Try and get past the walking around naked thing. Why? <laughs> That's an interesting thought, I, you know? Let me just write that down. Hang on a sec. I'm just going to... You're on fire today, Cam. I'm taking notes. All right. Got it. Next time I talk about that, it's going to be different. <laughs> Anyway, what are we talking about? <laughs> Be, thanks. <laughs> Expanding territory. Let's go. Let, let's stick with that. So, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth that is in heaven. In other words, our mandate is to take what is in heaven and to bring it here. The whole paradigm is heaven to earth. Um. Matthew chapter 16, if you go forward 10 verses, 10 chapters, Matthew 16. And while you're going there, let me just fill in one thing from the Lord's Prayer. When he says, give us today our daily bread, I want to suggest that is, let heaven invade my provision. As we forgive our sins, as we also forgive those who sin against us. That's the recipe for seeing heaven in our relationships. Forgiveness is one of the biggest keys for seeing heaven come in our relationships. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Um, What that means, because God doesn't lead anyone into temptation. We read that in James. What it means is essentially, God, grow me such that I am bigger than any temptation that comes against me. So that is heaven coming in our relationship to to evil and sin. So our our whole mandate is make it here like it is there. That's what taking ground is. Making it look here like it looks there. It's not just let's do church, let's have some great worship experiences, although you would know I'm a very big fan of that. 
But, that's, but, but there, is a, there, there is a so what to all of that. And as we worship in this territory that God has given us, we actually take ground in the spiritual realm that makes it easier for people to, makes it easier for people to get breakthrough in areas where people worship. So if, if you look at our four pillars of what we're about as a church, pillar number one is zones of presence that facilitate encounter. In other words, our, our number one call is to create zones where his presence is so real and it is easy for people to encounter the presence of God such that they come into breakthrough. It's not to do church, it's to create a zone of presence. Okay, Matthew 16. This is right after Peter has, like Peter, I love Peter because I can relate to him on so many levels. He has foot in mouth disease so bad. You know, he, he just says stuff um, and sometimes he absolutely nails it. And this is one of the occasions where he absolutely nails it. And Jesus is just asking, you know, who do you say I am? You know, and some say Elijah, some say John the Baptist which I don't kind of know how that could be because John the Baptist and Jesus were alive at the same time for a period there. But anyway, not the point. Um, And Peter then says, you are the Christ. In other words, you are the anointed one, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says to him, um, man did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And then um, verse 18 of Matthew 16, I tell you that you are Peter because his name was Simon up until this point. Simon means read. A reed is very easily swayed. Peter means rock. And with a change of name in Scripture comes a change of identity. So on that confession that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God, his identity shifted from one who was easily blown around to one who was solid as a rock, whom Jesus then says, on that rock, I can build my church. And then he says, verse 19, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, heaven to earth paradigm. If you look into the language of that, what it's essentially saying is whatever is bound on earth will already have been bound in heaven. And whatever is loosed on earth will already be loosed in heaven. In other words, again, it's taking what is there, bringing it here through this thing called binding. Binding, um, it's essentially a legal term where when someone was found guilty, they were bound. In other words, their freedom was very restricted at that point. And loosed obviously means to set it free, to allow it to happen. So again, it's a heaven to earth paradigm. One more verse, John chapter five. If you want to turn there, feel free, but I'm only going to read one verse. And Jesus again is having an argument with the Pharisees because he's just healed a person on the Sabbath. And they thought, well, you know, that is just such a bad thing to do. You've broken one of the rules by healing this person and transforming their life. You can't do that. Jesus says to them, very truly, this is verse 19 of John 5, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. In other words, what, what Jesus is saying, you're getting an idea of how Jesus ministered. In other words, I looked into heaven to see the activity of the Father who is in heaven. I looked to see the activity of the Father and then I jumped in on that. Again, it's a heaven to earth paradigm. How many of you are doing the intercession book thing with Deb? You're doing this stuff. This is good kind of pre-work, if you like. 
because that whole intercession thing is a heaven to earth thing. What is God doing in heaven? And then we release it here. So we're getting the idea. That's the paradigm. Heaven, what's it like there? Release that here. That's what we're doing in taking ground. And whether that's a destiny motif of actually seeing a realm or an area of society start to look like the kingdom. What, what does an economy look like when it's under the influence of the kingdom of God? That's a really good word. I reckon it's going to be pretty abundant. We've seen examples in modern history of that. You've heard me talk about the gigantic carrots. Um, In Almalongla, that's so hard to say. Almalongla in Guatemala, where the area was absolutely barren, desert-stricken, all the prisons were full. Long story short, revival hits the area, the jails get empty, they literally get turned into churches. Um, But the Spirit of God actually touched the physical land in such a way that all of a sudden, the place that was completely barren ends up bearing these crops that are absolutely off the chain. And you end up with carrots, like literally like this big and about this round. Like, I, I've got the video of it still. It, it, it is absolutely stunning. Now, a little thought is, I reckon to God, that's a normal carrot. See, we're so used to these piddly little things and we think that's normal. Whereas in the kingdom of God, a normal economy looks like carrots are this big. That's normal for God. Okay, that was a way better point than some of your reactions. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, your dog would love that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Carrots are awesome. A carrot would feed a family, not a person. That's, that's pretty right. Well, I don't know if you would get through. Okay, so here we have. <laughs> Exhibit A. Here is what we think is a normal carrot. We can't give away the secret as to where that came from. This is just a little piece of kingdom wonder as it appears in the room. This is what we think is a normal carrot. Compare that to... (laughs) Margaret, you come prepared for everything, don't you? (laughs) Oh, it's Chris's. Okay. Forgot the knife. Forgot the knife. Okay. What's up, Doc? Okay. So that all came from what does it look like when economy comes, an economy comes under the influence of the kingdom? What does it look like when a person comes under the kingdom? Now, Jesus talked about this. He says, whenever you drive out a demon in the name of Jesus, you know that the kingdom of God has come upon a person. So when the kingdom comes upon a person, there is freedom. When the kingdom comes upon land, there is fruitfulness. When the Ark of the Covenant entered into the house of Obed-Edom back in David's day, everything about that house prospered and was blessed at that point in time. It's starting to, it gives us little pictures of what heaven on earth starts to look like because it touches everything. It touches absolutely everything. So this ministry, this taking ground paradigm, sorry, is seeing what's in heaven, bringing it here. But how, how do we do this? I want to suggest the power of declaration. I saw a, one of those Facebook or Instagram kind of memes in the last week that said something like, the anointing is voice activated. I thought, you know, with the whole technology thing, I thought that was really cool because I love voice activated stuff. 
sometimes have a chat to Siri for no apparent reason. It is. <laughs> I know. Um, but the anointing literally is voice activated because as we see what's happening in heaven and we speak that out, it has creative power. So how did God create the world? He spoke. So what we know is words empowered by God actually have creative power and authority. So when we see what's in heaven and declare it on earth, we see the way a situation should be in heaven and we declare it on earth, we start the process of seeing that thing manifested. Now, the enemy is going to fight that to the hilt, of course. And we could spend you know, a whole lot of time understanding spiritual warfare and how authority works another time. Let's at least get the foundation right. How does it change how you pray if you understand that prayer is seeing what's going on in heaven first and then declaring it? Yeah, I mean, you know you're going to get answers when you pray for a start. Because Jesus said, I only, see what I, do the, I only do what I see the Father doing. Is it possible that's why he was so ridiculously effective? Like, like he didn't miss. Can someone get that for me? Yeah, thanks. Take a message. I'm a little busy right now. Um, so sometimes we see the way a thing is in heaven. And we declare it. Sometimes we get heaven's strategy. In other words, we see something that doesn't look like heaven. We step back into our spirit and we go, okay, God, what's your strategy? Now, his strategies are pretty crazy, like sending a choir into battle first. Like, how dumb is that? I mean, unless they're really bad singers and that's why everyone runs away, I don't know. But I assume that given it was a God strategy, they were probably way better than that. Um. Disciples out fishing, catch nothing. Jesus rocks up. He's a carpenter, right? He's not a fisherman. I mean, have any of you ever had someone who knows nothing about what you're doing tell you what to do? <laughs> like how, fr how frustrating is it, right? <laughs> so they've been fishing all night. And especially when you've been at something all night, at something you know how to do. And you're frustrated, you're tired, you're in a bit of victim mode. And someone rocks up and says, hey, why don't you just chuck your net on the other side of the boat? And you're like... Go back to your carpentry, dude. Go back to your woodwork. Let, you're the carpenter. We're the fishermen. Just, I don't know what got into them, but they did it. And all of a sudden, there wasn't enough net to, cover, to carry the harvest. And this is where Jesus actually called some of the disciples through blessing their business to a point where they couldn't deny that God was in some way involved in that. But again, heaven's strategy in that was... My business sucks right now. Jesus rocks in, gives you a different strategy. Whoop, chuck it over there. Because sometimes he knows where the harvest is. He knows where the business is. He knows where the market is soft. And he gives you a strategy that sounds ridiculous, but you do it and all of a sudden you end up on your face going, depart from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. In other words, I'm in awe of what you just did. <laughs> what about, hey, you need to pay your taxes? Just Chuck a line out in the lake there, wheel one in, there's going to be a coin in the mouth of the fish. Use that to pay your taxes and mine. Have you ever thought about some of this stuff? Like if you were living there in that day, walking around with Jesus, how cool would it be to be walking around with Jesus? I'm like, that would do my head in. Like I've got my tax bill coming up, Jesus. 
no worries, go out, there's a fish, you're going to catch this thing and there's going to be a coin in its mouth, that'll cover us both. What? See, heaven's strategy often looks different to earth. The only thing dumber than sending a choir out to battle was he sent a bunch of artisans with furniture polish, basically, out into battle first. And it said it would terrify the enemy. What's with that? So sometimes we see the way it is in heaven, we declare it here. Other times we see something that isn't the way heaven looks and we ask, okay, God, what is your strategy for that? And his strategies are a little, woo, (laughs) to an earthly mind. Sometimes it looks like using authority. And this is a whole subject we could spend weeks on as well, but let's just kind of cover a foundation here. There are some things where we don't need a word from God to know what's meant to happen because it's really plainly clear in Scripture we have authority over that. So a demon manifests in front of me in a person. I don't need a word from God to know what to do with that. That's like Christian recreation right there. When that's like, you are so not getting through this day. Not the human, the demon, just in case you're wondering. We don't need a word from God to know that it doesn't belong there and that we have authority to drive that out. Jesus made that absolutely and abundantly clear, did he not? Are we reading the same book? Yeah, yeah. Like, yes, he made that absolutely and abundantly clear that we have authority over that thing. Now, if you're thinking about then let's go around the shopping center and see if we can make some demons manifest and try casting them out, we need to learn some stuff about our authority and the authority of the individual in order to get them out because I spent years in my early years of ministry just with these things, you know, and people crawling up walls and crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and I just, you know, come out, come out because that's, that's what you kind of see in the movies and that, that must be right. Um, and it took a while before anything actually shifted. Um, because I didn't understand that the reason a person was demonised is because they had made agreements and alignments in their life that allowed that thing to be there. And if I just stand there and shout at the thing really loud until I go hoarse, it's just like, well, I've got authority to be here, sucker, So, which is kind of what I was experiencing. Until I learned, okay, you have an authority to be there. Let's find out what that is. Let's break that authority. And then the thing asks to leave. I've had demons actually say, can I go now, please? It wasn't that hard once you dismantle its authority structure. But what I'm trying to say here is part of taking ground, it may be taking ground in a person um, and it may be bigger picture taking ground um, in a region is the stuff of the enemy has authority to be there. What we need to find out is why it has authority to be there and we can break that because we've got greater authority. Sometimes taking ground, heaven to earth paradigm looks like stepping into our authority. We don't need to stop and pray for a really long time to know what to do with that one. Let's talk about healing for a moment because this is, this is one where we wrestle with a whole lot. Obviously, when there is sickness, injury, pain, is any of that in heaven? No. Okay, easy one. So we know, therefore, it doesn't belong here, but what is the approach that we take to do it? Now, I, in my early years of this, as many of you have heard me say, I had more people die as a, as a direct result in the moment of me praying for them, just to be clear. But more people that I prayed for for healing actually died than got healed in my early days. I remember I was, I was at your church one Sunday morning and I, I completely didn't touch the subject of healing. And someone came up to me and said, oh, I need, 
I need prayer for my arm. It's really sore. I've got an injury. And to which my response was, well, I don't have a really good record in healing. That's great faith, obviously, of mine at that point in time. And of course, according to my faith, it was unto me at that point in time. Um, but then once, once I started to understand it a little bit more and understand our authority and then get around some people that knew how to walk in this and got some impartation, got them to pray for me, stuff started to shift. And then stuff started to shift by accident. Like um, one meeting I was at in Newcastle, um, I had a word of knowledge about, it was knees, I think it was in this order, about um, people with you know, injured knees. And so we prayed for that. Nobody whose knees I prayed for got healed. But someone goes, but my ears got healed while you were praying for knees. I'm like, okay, well, maybe I missed it. Maybe God's healing ears. So anyone with ear problems, stand up, let's pray for them. And we did that. And then everyone who had issues with their knees got healed. (laughs) I still can't work that one out. I have no idea. Other than it kind of seemed funny, but I guess we got the job done in the end. But where I want to get to is, again, heaven to earth looks a little different. See, sometimes healing, like the process of healing is essentially an acceleration of a natural process. But by, by technical definition, that's what healing is. It's the acceleration of a natural process. But if somebody doesn't have an eyeball and we want them to see, that's not healing. That's a creative miracle. They don't have an eyeball, so there's nothing there to heal. We need a creative miracle. Um, Dan McCollum, some of you may know of him um, Many of you may not. Um, He's an amazing prophetic guy based in California. And um, he told this story of, and he was talking about the difference between healing and a creative miracle. And this girl, if I remember the story right, she was injured in an accident. And as a result of the surgery, pretty much the nerves were gone from half of her face. And so half of her face was just literally because the nerves were no longer there. I can't remember whether it was a burn or an impact injury, but it was something like that. And people would continually pray, healing, 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 healing. Nothing happened. And then Dan got before God and said, okay, what's the deal? And God basically said, she doesn't need healing. There's nothing there to heal. She needs a creative miracle. Now, when we need something created, what have we learned from how God operates as to how we would do that? We would speak. And what would we do? We, we, we would actually speak what isn't there into being. And so he gave her an assignment. And that was every time you look at, in the mirror, this is what you were to declare over yourself. You were to speak. I speak the creation of nerves in my face. Um, and you know, she would get quite specific around where that would be. And he actually showed us a, fo- a before and after photo of before she started this journey and after. And it wasn't fully done yet, but there were things in the second photo that given the the injury was done, there was no way she could do that because they learned this wasn't a healing, this was a creative miracle required. There's another crazy story out of Bill Johnson world when, um, and this goes to again, seeing what's in heaven, bringing it here. This person who was on the prayer ministry team at Bethel had had this encounter with God where God had taken them into this room in heaven that was full of spare body parts. And ends up on the prayer line in the front of church praying for someone who had no kneecap. Now, if you understand, that, that's not a good thing. Like you, It's there for a reason. You need that thing. <laughs> 
And so they were in all sorts of pain and trouble because they had no kneecap. And he goes, oh, you got no kneecap? No problem. I'll go get one for you. I know where one is. <laughs> he literally reaches up into the air, brings his hand down, puts it on this person, and a kneecap forms right in front of them. That is nuts. <laughs> but all it was, the reason he was able to do that was because he'd seen that there was abundant provision for this in heaven. He'd seen what this was like in heaven already. There are spare body parts everywhere, not like carnage like shelves, <laughs> you know, with stuff. It's like, okay, you need a new leg? There's one. Here. In other words, let's take from what is in heaven and let's bring it here. And he found it really easy to go, I've seen one of those. So let me just grab it and I'll give it to you. It's a very different way of praying, Yeah. Like the, understanding this and what I'm, what I'm about here is I want to shift the way that we pray. I, I want to shift our concept as to what prayer is to something that can seem like this dry, disciplined, yeah, active spirituality to something that becomes fun and adventurous and, and sometimes just a tad crazy. Sometimes heaven to earth looks like God giving a supernatural favour with people who have access to what we need. Nehemiah found this. So Nehemiah, going back to Jerusalem to rebuild the city, to get from where he was to where he was going, he had to go through all sorts of different lands, he needed all sorts of different supplies, he had supernatural favour with the king, and from there got supernatural favour with key people, leaders in varying territories that gave him both access to get where he wanted to go and supplies to like build walls and stuff because that's hard to do that, you know, without stuff. That was really profound, wasn't it? But had God have not granted Nehemiah supernatural favour, he wouldn't have been able to do what he did. And apparently in heaven, Jerusalem has pretty awesome walls. And they were all burnt down with fire and it was being restored. We already saw Jesus in John 5 said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So, in other words, he had eyes to see what God the Father was already doing. He jumped in on that. So, in taking ground, taking ground is going to involve us co-laboring with the Father to see territory that doesn't look like heaven become like heaven. Now, that can be a family. That can be a business. That can be an individual. That can be an economy. That can be an education system. It can be a church, believe it or not. And the list goes on. But it's going to involve us partnering with the Father to bring what's there here. So what am I suggesting? I think too often we start by going, okay, God, what's the outcome we think should happen? And we just start praying that. Anyone ever done that? My hand's up. That was kind of how I learned to pray as a kid. It's just, what do you want to see happen? Just, God, will you please do that? And then we get a bit frustrated, disappointed, bitter and twisted when everything that we're saying, God, would you please do that, doesn't appear to happen. Now, little clue, this is not the subject of this message, but a little clue, because we're here right now. When stuff like that happens, it's not meant to be a, oh, well, woe is me, I don't know how to pray and God hates me moment. When stuff isn't happening the way that we think it should, it's an invitation. Let's step back into the spirit of God, into the heart of God and go, God, what do you want to teach me about how to bring this thing into being? That, that's kind of really important. 
Because we've all had, you know, if you've been live longer than 20 minutes, you've probably had some disappointment. You've probably had some unanswered prayers. Yes? Yeah. Okay. So rather than let's pray for the outcome that we think should happen, keeping in mind that if that's what we think should happen, that's our mind that only sees this much of compared to what God sees. Sometimes I think we limit what God can do because we have an idea of the way it should be. As distinct from, let's find out what God's doing here. So before we jump in and dive in, God, will you do this and God do that and God do that? What I want to suggest, number one, stop. Ask, listen. And you've got a few questions at your disposal. One of them could be, okay, Father, can you show me what you're already doing here in this situation? Because there's a pretty good chance he's already working because theologically it's really hard for God to be absent from something. Just a thought. It's because he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. Um, and the cross tells me that he's way more committed to the outcome than I am. So I don't have to beg him like he's unwilling. He, he actually made the way. He, he's got more skin in the game than I do. So let's keep that in mind anytime we approach him, okay? In other words, we can approach with the, I am so glad to see you knowing that his heart is for us because he's got way more skin in the game in this territory than I do. Stop. Father, what are you doing? Father, what does this situation look like from heaven's perspective? Father, what are you saying to this person? Because there are times when I've gone to go... Um, guy in front of me with arthritis or like from head to toe um, on, a, on a ministry line. This is a church up in Newcastle. And the most natural thing in the world would be, right, well, arthritis, go in Jesus' name and to do that whole thing. And I was, I was about ready to do it. And I thought, no, let's just practice what I preach a little. Let's just stop. Okay. Father, what are you doing? And what the Father was touching was actually the reason why he had arthritis, not the arthritis. There is a, wait for the end of this story though. And so what I felt to go after was, okay, inflammation is often a sign that someone's really angry outwards. Like degeneration of bones is often a sign that my anger's turned inwards. Whereas inflammation, like if you think of I'm fired up, I'm angry, inflammation is often a sign that someone's angry outwards. Um, and I just said, tell me a bit of your story. Before we pray for your body, tell me a bit of your story. He's like, oh, well, you know, I've had a tough life and blah, blah, blah. And he started talking about his, particularly his relationship with his dad. But then he said, but look, my dad and I have actually reconciled and things are actually really good now. And something in my spirit just went, yes, the, he was, what, 60-something years old. I said, the 60-something-year-old is reconciled with his dad. And that is fantastic. Praise God. That, that, you know, that's a miracle given what you've said. That's awesome. But what I feel the Spirit's doing is there's like a 28, 29-year-old man stuck in there that still is deeply confused and very angry with his dad and doesn't know what to do with how he's feeling. And he just started to melt. And then I just felt like God gave me a word to speak over him like 
his father should have spoken to him and to speak to that 28, 29-year-old like a true father and to speak worth and belief in him. And as I did that, he just <laughs> kind of melted in a heap, a bit like the Wicked Witch of the West, but he wasn't a witch. <laughs> I just kind of melted in this heap. And as he kind of came out of that, um, all of the arthritis had left his body. I think it was from the waist down. I can't remember exactly, but I think it was from the waist down. All of the arthritis left his body. We never prayed for it, never touched it. Just went for the heart stuff. So why I'm saying that is, it's not always what you see that God is wanting to do. Step back and say, okay, Father, what are you doing? Because the Father actually wanted to heal his heart. And in doing so, healed half his body. And then we prayed again later for for some of the rest. And he was still totally spun out because God had just absolutely whacked him. But stop before you pray. And then I've talked about this before, but it's been a while. The power of tongues for getting you aligned with heaven. So if you understand what speaking in tongues is, it's essentially the Holy Spirit praying through your mouth. It's it's probably the simplest way. If you don't know what the will of God in a situation is, the best thing you can do is pray in the Spirit. One of the biggest mistakes most of us make with tongues is we don't do it long enough. Because yeah, especially when you're first starting out, it feels so stupid. <laughs> like, let's get real. It just feels ridiculous. It's like, if anyone could see me now. <laughs> it just, and it offends your natural mind, especially if you've got any sense of logic, reason, or rationale. And I have a relatively high value for that um, in my head. Uh, it's just offensive to a rational mind. But what happens as you keep going is you start to feel your spirit engage and all of a sudden faith starts to engage. And then if you keep at it, quite often you will start to get pictures or senses of what God is wanting to do. In other words, what's happening there is you are starting to get an interpretation of what you are praying. Now, we often thought of interpretation of tongues as you speak something, I can hear it like you're speaking my native language. And for some, sometimes that happens. But often I think we can miss the whole interpretation of tongues thing is because we expected it to be like, oh, I can understand French or something like that. As distinct from, as I pray in the spirit, I start to get impressions in my spirit about stuff. And what you're getting is revelation of what you are praying. So this is why Paul says, anyone who prays in an unknown tongue should also pray that they may interpret what they're saying. Because in doing so, you find out the will of God for that situation and then you can declare it in English and boy, does that start to have power because you're aligning your whole authority with the word of God and you're starting to declare and we know that that has creative power. Yeah, absolutely. It has power. It has dunamis. So... Again, I want to suggest tongues is incredibly powerful because it brings us into alignment with his will. It brings us into a place of faith, but it also brings us into a place of revelation as to what he's doing. How much different would it be to pray from that place? When you have a confidence in your heart and your spirit of what God is doing, as distinct from sitting there feeling really discouraged and disheartened and going, God, please, would you change this situation? Please. That's praying like an orphan. He wants us to pray like sons and daughters. So I want, to, I want us to try something right now, just for a minute, because we're, we're heading into injury time right now. We can pray for healing for that too. 
I'm sure that in this room, given that most of us are humans, that there are situations in your life that you can think of at least one situation in your life that isn't manifesting the fullness of heaven right now. Anyone struggling to find a situation like that? So is anyone struggling to find a situation in your life? Because if your whole life looks like heaven, seriously, you need to lay hands on me. (laughs) And I'll happily submit to that. I'm going to give you about two minutes just to stop. Now, for some of you, the moment you stop, and some of you may have the answer already, because quite often the Spirit speaks instantly before you've even finished the question. Other times, it takes a moment for us to get the clutter of our own head kind of out and just to settle back into our spirit. But I just want you to settle back into your spirit and ask the Father, what are you doing in that situation? How are you operating? Take a moment. Okay. And no pressure here, but how many of you just got an insight from heaven just now about a situation in your life that you're like, oh, I hadn't thought to see it like that. Anyone? Yeah? Now, again, no pressure. Is anyone who would be willing to share like eight seconds at the most on the situation or on what God showed you and how it would change the way that you pray now that you have that? Anyone up for that? Danielle, have you got this on, Cal? So, two seconds on the situation. Um, one of my flatmates have been nasty to me. Okay. And, yeah, we've had some um, conflict. Okay. So, what did the father show you just now as you stopped? Um, just about humility, about letting go of resentment, mm. about blessing your enemies and praying for those who persecute you. Wow. So, that's a strategy. So, you got, you got a heaven strategy. When that, was just, that a, yeah, yeah, fighting conflict with good good mm. things. So not being the, giving the silent treatment, being upset and justifiably perhaps angry, but actually coming forward with, with kindness. Mm. And in hearing that, did you feel a sense of empowering to be able to walk in that? Yes, I need help. Okay, that's all right. That's allowed. <laughs> but I, it was actually, I was actually dealing with it this morning, so it was really easy for me. Okay. I had the argument last night. So, and then it was just clarification just yeah. now. That's really cool. Thank you for sharing. That's awesome. So Danielle got it. Yeah, give her a hand. That's, that's a heavenly strategy that was just given. Here's how to walk in this from heaven's perspective. That's awesome. That's awesome. Who else? Anyone else? Cam. So uh, at work, things have been really tense. Um, lack of breakthrough, lack of moving through to anything Really, it's just the same old, same old, more and more frustration. Um, and the picture I got from God was, well, actually, it's like, a, it's like an archery thing and the tension's increasing because I'm pulling it back, waiting to release you. How would that change the way you pray about this situation now? Uh, well, yeah, you kind of pray with expectation now and uh, you keep pulling me back because I want to go further yeah. kind of thing as opposed to, you know, break this thing off or whatever. That's awesome. That's very cool. Not that pulling back is comfortable. No, it's not at all because the increase in tension is not fun at all. I had a similar situation way back where um, in my work situation, I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing. I wasn't doing what was on my heart. And I was like 
you know, oh God, deliver me was basically the substance of my prayer on pretty much a daily basis. I'd wake up in the morning, think about, I've got to go to this workplace. It wasn't a bad workplace. I was just bored out of my brain. And for me, that's one of the worst things in the world. Um, and I'm like, God, get me out of here. And, and that didn't happen. Um, but I remember meeting with a key mentor in my life and I described how perpetually peed off I was. Um, and he just brought in a really timely word of wisdom from God and said, yeah, you, you haven't got a vision of what God's doing in you or through you in that place. That's what you need. And as, as I got that picture, and it came very, very quickly, it dramatically changed how I operated there. I ended up getting promoted twice. Um, and eventually then when I did end up getting an offer to go into what I really wanted to do, I could have said no because of how God had transformed the way I saw what was happening here. Totally changed the way I prayed. Similar. That's awesome. Is there one more? Stay there. I'll come to you. This isn't really a thing that just happened, mm. but I had a, I, it's actually totally in line with mm, what you've go. been talking about. So it's a dream, prophetic kind of thing. Um, I had a, I'm a dreamer and I interpret, like, record and interpret dreams. I have been for years. A lot of them I don't understand. But this one was extremely clear and it's all about from heaven to earth. So um, basically I was standing with Steve um, on a headland looking over water, the ocean, and it was kind of like orange skies and it had that movie kind of feeling like, the you know, an alien invasion sort of like, you know... Independence Day or whatever, um, and all, we were just standing there and all of a sudden the clouds in the sky, the, there was a cloud bank and the clouds just opened up and these giant, like massive cubes dropped from heaven into the ocean and it was very, I was like, why are they cubes? Um, and they had lots of lights all over them and it was almost like they were built like boxes full of light um, we couldn't see all of the light, but they had light coming, shining from them. And there were like, what we could, one was close, there was like heaps of them just dropping all throughout the whole landscape, just dropping from the sky. And I just said to Steve, oh my gosh, we are here to witness this, this is finally happening. And at the in the dream, I was like, this is an alien invasion. <laughs> but... On reflection, I also got the answer. The interpretation was actually this is revival. It's um, the yeah the strategies from heaven, and they are very unpredictable. Like I was like, why cubes? Like why blocks? And that was the unpredictable nature of what that what it might look like. Um, I also got a sense that they cubes were actually full of both like love, light, but also angelic armies Mm, to be released on earth. So that idea of revival coming to earth is, um, or not just revival, but just the the vessels of love and the vessels of of stuff coming from heaven, they're massive and there's heaps of them and they were just coming down all over the place. Oh, come on. And I drew it. I want to paint it (laughs) one day. So that kind of changes your perspective on what's happening on the earth, yeah? Yeah. Totally. Totally. That is so cool. So I want to pray for us and we need to, like, stop. Um, And this, let me...
tell you how I want to pray for us. Elijah is with Elisha. Elisha at this point is his, you know, kind of sidekick, his apprentice in training. And long story short, it's in the Bible, you can read it. They're in this hut. They are completely surrounded by enemy soldiers, completely surrounded. Elisha, the young prophetic apprentice, is freaking out and going, like, we are toast, look at them all. And Elijah is there, not even remotely stressed, and he simply says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. Now, if you think, for, if you're Elisha for a moment, you're like, I can see pretty darn clearly. Look at them all. They're right there. They're, they're, they're everywhere. We're surrounded. And Elijah simply says, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And all of a sudden, Elisha's eyes get fully opened and he sees that the hosts of heaven are surrounding the massive army and are way more numerous than the army that was against us. And he says, see, those who are for us are so much greater than those who are against us. Completely changed what he saw. That's what I want to pray for us. Have you ever wondered, would it be true to say God doesn't get stressed? Have you ever wondered why he doesn't get stressed? Well, you know, he can see it all. He can see more than we can. So when, 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 our, when we're stressed, we're seeing, we're not seeing the end of the story because the end of the story is good. I've read the book. It's awesome. <laughs> okay, so if we're stressed out, we haven't seen the end. It's not over yet because the end is good. So I want to pray for us that our perspective would be opened, that our eyes would be opened so that we can see like he sees because that's going to dramatically change the way we pray and how much fun we have while we're doing it. You up for it? Let's stand. Feel free to go into some form of receive mode, whatever that looks like, feels like for you. And I'm going to include myself in this prayer. Father, open our eyes that we may see, that we may really see. We give you permission to radically transform our prayer life, to radically transform how we co-labor with you to take ground and to see heaven released on earth. Whether it's in our household, whether it's in our own heart, whether it's in our family, whether it's in our, our workplace, um, whether it's to do with our destiny, whether it's in our economy, our political system, our nation, whatever it is, we give you permission to radically transform how we see and our ability to see. To radically transform the way we pray and the way that we co-labor with you. God, would you open our eyes to see the authority that we have in Christ as we are seated with him in heavenly realms far above every rule and authority on the earth. Ephesians says, far above. Open our eyes that we might see that. Open our eyes that we might see the table that is prepared before us in the presence of our enemies so that when we feel surrounded, we actually go, ha, ah, there's a table here. And there's nothing that peeves off the enemy more than us sitting and feasting while he has to sit there and watch. It's very disheartening if you're a demon to have to go through that. So let's, <laughs> yeah, open our eyes, Father, that we may see. 
Transform us that we might be agents of transformation, agents of bringing your kingdom and seeing it established here in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen. Bless you.